about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Um, so my name's Elise and I'm going to be doing the first Bible reading and it's Genesis chapter 3 starting at verse 1 and you can find that on page 3 of your pew Bibles. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the women, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you have put me here with with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life.
The second reading tonight is from Romans chapter 5, which we'll find on page 1116, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, And death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who was the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as though, just through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey folks, uh, I'm Roger, I'm a part of the ministry team here at Newtown Erskineville. We're glad you're here. What's happening uh, coming down the aisle, Lem and his welcoming partner are handing out are handing out uh, this sheet of paper which is just the second Bible reading indented in a way which I hope makes sense to you. And I'll be referring to that through uh, the sermon tonight. So it'll be helpful for you to get a copy of it. Uh, We'll just wait a moment while that gets spread out. You can do whatever you need to do to stay warm. I'll just think happy thoughts about the Waratahs winning last night. I'm just going to talk about rugby for about one minute now, just to fill in some time. The Super 15 competition's been running for 19 years now. Now, As a 39-year-old, that's almost half my life. And last night for the first time the Waratahs won the Super 15, and I am a very happy Vegemite. 
I tried to think of a way to make this the introduction to my sermon because uh, this talk is really about grace reigning. So I could say that the Waratahs are the reigning champions, but it's a really weak segue. And I didn't want to take away from a really big passage, but I also wanted to just talk about how excited I am that the Waratahs won. If you don't have one of those outlines, can you just throw your hand up, please? Beautiful. All right, let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we thank you that you've spoken to us. We thank you that your your word is powerful, that it cuts us deeply to our core. And so we pray tonight that you'd speak to us and show us uh, the truth about this world about sin and death and grace and righteousness. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has triumphed over death. And so we pray in his name. Amen. So when you look at your outline, you'll see that a large section of the text is indented across to the right. That's because the dash at the end of verse 12, the dash at the end of verse 12 really continues... (coughs) The logic continues into verse 18. The stuff on the right is important, but it's not the main game. And I want you to think all the way through as we're, as we're considering this passage and how it fits into our, uh, our series on Romans 5 to 8 about what it means that Jesus has died for sin, that God can give righteousness, that is, perfect standing before God, that God can credit righteousness to anyone who trusts in Jesus. By the way, that's the message of the Christian gospel. You can be right with God as a free gift because of what Jesus has done in his life and death and resurrection. Now, that is a gift from God, but how can a just God, how can a just God punish a perfect son and forgive people like us? That's the question that's raised Uh, Back in Romans 3, just flick back to it if you have your Bible open. In that very dense exposition of the gospel in 3.21 to 26, the last sentence there is that at the cross, God demonstrates both justice and forbearance so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The passage we're looking at tonight is a bit of a teasing out of some of the implications of this beautiful message. What does it mean for grace to triumph over death? What does it mean for grace to reign even while there is still sin in the world? If you're a person uh, who follows Jesus... Uh, you will know that this tugs at your heartstrings day by day. If you're a person who lives in the world, regardless of where you stand with Jesus, you will recognize that our world is deeply broken. Already tonight, we've prayed for a situation in Gaza where Hamas and Israel are at odds and death is the fruit. We've prayed for Mosul, that great city of Nineveh, where Christians have been killed and raped and tortured and cast out of their homes, where other Muslims have had the same fate paid on them by ISIS. We live in a world where planes crash and people die. 
We live in a world where relationships are fractured, where families are, instead of being places of love and warmth and care, are destructive. We live in a world where brokenness and sin and death look like they reign. But the message of the gospel is that yes, death has a power. Evil and sin have a power, but that power, its greatest force is death itself. And the message of the gospel, summed up in the last verse of this chapter, look down the bottom of your page or at Romans 5.21. Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace reigns through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. At the heart of the gospel, this message about Jesus is his death and resurrection. As we, as we filter through the details tonight, we'll be talking about the law and trespass and sin and death, but at the heart of this, it's encapsulated at the cross. Where sin bears fruit in death, where God pours out his wrath on Jesus. The worst that sin can give is death, and Jesus drinks that cup and God raises him from the death and so grace triumphs over death. Let's look at the details. Paul begins in verse 12 by talking about the reign of death stemming from Adam. That's why we read Genesis 3 tonight. The reign of death begins with Adam. Just as sin entered the world through one man, And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Now, do you see Paul's sneaky little move there? He says that because you are related to Adam, you, like him, face death. Death came to all men because all sinned. What he doesn't say is that you get punished for Adam's sin. See, that's what the last phrase in the verse says. Death came to all men because all sinned. This verse holds at one time two things that are true. Firstly, Adam's turning away from God, the good command of God, resulted in death coming to everyone. But at the same time, everyone sins. Now this fits perfectly with what Paul's already said in Romans 1-3. to That is that whatever your situation before God, whether you're a Jew who has the law, whether you're a Gentile, that's a person not a Jew, who doesn't have the law, whether all you have is the creation itself, whatever your situation before God, you've had enough to turn to him, but in fact you've turned away from him. And because of that, you are responsible for the decision as a creature to turn your back on the creator. And the fruit of that will be that creator demands your life of you. Read the verse again. There's two categories going on. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Now, there's much more to say about how Adam's actions make us who we are. Much more to say, which I'm not going to say all of tonight. Uh, 
There is a category of thought where people talk about Adam's sin being imputed to us. That is, we are treated as if we were there with Adam. I don't think that holds as much water as uh, many very serious theologians think because of the second half of the verse, that we also all sin. What Adam's sin does for us is to shape humanity in a way where our nature at our very core, our flesh that we've received from our predecessor is inclined in every way to turn away from God. My nature without the spirit of God is to seek my own good to make up my own rules, to live my own way without God. And the fruit of that in the face of the life-giving creator is death. It's not just that I will die, although I will and you will die. Death is always wrong. Death is not God's intention for his people. The creation, although good, has been broken. And now there is death and mourning and crying and tears. And the promise of the resurrection in Jesus is that there will be a time when there will be no more death. Because there will be no more sin. Now you might be concerned that we've only looked at one verse so far. What I'm going to do is look quickly through these verses, uh, 13 through 17, whose main point is that although there are some similarities between Adam and Jesus, what happens in Adam and Jesus are a little bit different. There's a pattern, but it's not a one-to-one correlation. Now, at the start of verse 13, Paul says, Before the law was given... Sin was in the world. And we heard about that already in Genesis 3. The law was given through Moses, but years and years before that, there was sin in the world in lots of different ways. You can read the story of Genesis. It's essentially a story of all different types of people sinning in different ways. Turning away from God, murdering their brothers. The story of Noah is the story of the whole world being so sinful that God regrets that he's made it. Sin was in the world, and Paul says that sin is not taken into account where there is no law. What do you think that means? That that sin is not taken into account. I think the way to understand that is to say that even though there's not a specific command that has been broken, it's not accounted for in the same way as God can say, you broke this law and this law and this law, but the sin itself remains. And so Paul can conclude that even at that time, before Moses, which is code for before the law, there in verse 14, death reigned. Even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command. Now Adam is a pattern of the one to come. That's a little code there, the one to come. Adam is a pattern of Jesus. So let's see how these two, these two heads... Adam, the head of his race, and Jesus, the head of a new race, are similar and different. Firstly, in verse 15, they're not the same. The gift 
is not like the trespass, Paul says. Jesus is the gift. The trespass is the fruit of Adam. How are they different? Well, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? What's different? Grace overflows, whereas sin is a kind of one-to-one. Grace overflows, even though many died by the trespass of one man, grace overflows to all of those who accept the gift that comes in Jesus Christ. This is a picture of the gospel. We are loved in such a greater sense. We are forgiven and given new life so that our sin is nothing. Grace overflows to the many. The gift is not like the trespass in verse 15. Secondly, in verse 16, the gift is not like the trespass. Again, in 16, how is it different? Have a look at it. It says, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Different history, different result. The different history is that the judgment followed Adam. His one sin. You can do anything you like, God said to Adam, but don't eat that fruit. The sin wasn't just eating the fruit, was it? How would you sum up Adam's sin? It's rejection of God's rule. Rejection of God personally. I know better than you. One sin brought condemnation, but the gift, that is Jesus, followed Bazillions of trespasses. God waited patiently before he sent his son. And the different fruit, one brought condemnation, one brought justification. Old news if you've been reading Romans 1 to 4. Verse 17 is a bit of a conclusion to this. How is the gift and the trespass different? How are they the same? What is the pattern that follows between Adam and Jesus? Paul says in verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned. Notice we get the reigned language here. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? If you think about it at the cross, yes, death reigned. But Jesus' resurrection trumps death. If you're a card player, you know what trumps are. It's that power suit that, you know, if clubs are trumps, the smallest clubs beats the ace or the thing, any other suit. It's, it's an absolute rubbishing of whatever comes up against it. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he did not just defeat death in himself, but God was demonstrating the life that will overflow to all those who follow in his footsteps, who grab onto his coattails by faith, who identify themselves with Jesus as the one who reigns. Adam is a pattern of Jesus in that one thing he does has a result for everyone. But Jesus' result is so much greater. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace 
and the gift of righteousness reign in life. Can you see how this ties our passage today back to last week's when we read the first half of chapter 5? The way that Paul described being a Christian in chapter 5 verse 2 was having gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. This is one of those moments where I need to ask you, do you remember who you are before God? Do you remember that yes, although you were a sinner, although sin reigned in you and bore fruit for death, if your faith is in Jesus, you stand in grace. The voices in your head, the voices of your history, this week, this month, this year, your life, will say, you're not worthy to be accepted by God. You keep doing that thing which you know God detests. But to stand in grace is who you are when you are in Christ. And grace reigns for you. It overflows. Your sin has been separated from you. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God cast his sin for us from us. Grace reigns in life through Jesus Christ. Down at verse 18, as Paul continues his pattern of thought from the very beginning of this passage, death reigned. Paul continues to say that just as that death resulted in condemnation for everyone, so the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. That language there of righteousness and justification is the heart of this book of Romans. When you think of one act of righteousness, your memory verse bells go ding, 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 ding. Yes, that's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans 3, 21 to 26. What is one act of righteousness? This is Jesus on the cross. The act of righteousness is God's righteousness. In punishing sin in his son, in Jesus offering himself, in God declaring people justified through faith and punishing sin to death. In case you didn't get the point, Paul makes it again in verse 19. Through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. So through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Your righteousness doesn't depend on your obedience. Your righteousness depends on Jesus' obedience. Does that open you up to freedom as a Christian? Your standing before God depends on Jesus' obedience. How pleased with God is you? All the pleased. He loves you as he loves his perfect son. Not because of what you've done, not because of your good intentions, but he loves you because Jesus stands in your place. His righteousness has been given to you as a gift. In verse 20, Paul has a little aside, which is going to shape the next couple of chapters of his thought. What's the point of the law? What's the point of the law? 
I don't want to give away the next couple of chapters, but in short, the law is good, but it brings deadly results in sinful people like us. The law is good, but it has deadly fruit for people who are already sinners. One verse, the law was added so that trespass might increase. Have you ever thought about what the point of the law is? This is a rude shock to the Jews who thought that the law was their way to approach God. There's much more to say, which is why we have Romans 6, 7 and 8. But where sin increased, Paul says, grace increased all the more. This is a picture of the gospel. Whatever sin does, grace trumps it. Grace overflows. So that, and here's the way that Paul sums it up, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns. Grace rules. This is good news. This is very good news. This is the sort of news that means that we are not shaped by the death that surrounds us. We are not shaped by the death that is endemic to our world and to ourselves. Even as we suffer the sufferings that are part of this world, like Paul mentioned in the first half of the chapter, we can endure knowing what the future holds. When I was in youth group, um, I wasn't a Christian at the time, we had one week where we watched a video on VHS, yes, of an American guy called Tony Campolo. Now, if you've heard of him, his name's Tony. Um, and the talk was, it's Friday but Sunday's coming. Have you heard that phrase before? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I'm not going to put on a bad American accent. It's a Friday, but no. Um, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. His point was, at the moment, we see the fruit of death in the world. We see the cross. We see all the brokenness and the injustice, the wrong suffering that is epitomized in the cross. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. The resurrection has happened in Christ. And God has set a day when that Christ who has already been seated at the right hand of God will reign and bring all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be defeated will be death. We can walk through this world, not just with heads held high because we're good people, no. We can suffer in this world knowing that God is at work in us, transforming us into the people that we will be when we are with him. We can endure because we know that whatever happens, even death itself, has already been defeated in Christ. What's your response to this? For me, it's just that the gospel is better news than I expected. Jesus' victory blows sin and death and all that it encompasses out of the water. 
Some weeks at church, you know, the response to the sermon is, go, go and do this differently. Think about this differently. Tonight, I think the way to respond to the grace that reigns in Jesus is to give thanks to him. So I'm going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Will you join me? Sovereign Lord, we thank you that you have created this world. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his faithfulness in doing what we could not do. We thank you that he became truly human, that he lived a life of faith in you, of love for you and for his neighbour. We thank you that he obeyed perfectly and with his eyes on you went even to the cross to be punished for what he did not deserve. We thank you for his gracious act of righteousness and we praise you for your justice that you have punished sin. We thank you that you have counted your people as righteous through Jesus. We thank you for the gracious gift of life that comes in him. We thank you that you forgive us while we are far off. We thank you that you forgive us all our sin. We thank you that you put your spirit in us as a promise of what is to come, that he will transform us into the very likeness of your son. We thank you for the grace that comes in Jesus, our Lord. And Father, we ask that you would help us to live until our death with our eyes on the one who has been raised and seated at your right hand. We pray you give us thankful hearts that remember always who we were and who you have made us in Christ. And we pray this, that you would be honoured with our minds and our hearts and our lips and our lives. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.